Hey, 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 how's it going, Gold Street Garden family? Thank you for joining us for another podcast episode. This is Pastor Dominic, and I just want to thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be able to pour into your lives to reveal Jesus in greater measure to you personally. There is nothing more exhilarating than the daily rediscovery of Jesus. And what a beautiful, beautiful moment we get to share when we share it looking at the Lamb of God. We just want to let you know that if you want more info on the church, you can go to goldstreetgarden.com. You can follow us on all the main social media platforms to stay up to date on all of what's going on in our community. We love you all and we pray that you are impacted deeply and greatly by today's episode and teaching. We love you all. God bless. but I have three words in my heart that we are going to spend the foreseeable future on together, however the Holy Spirit leads. Are you okay with that? Are you ready? The three words everyone say out loud, humility, Humility. honor, Honor. serving. Serving. These three words we are going to camp with all of our hearts on, and I truly believe it is going to be life-changing for everyone. And you know, when we hear those words, they're not words that you get excited about. Like if I would have said breakthrough, provision, and you know, like if I would have just said all that, everybody would be like, yeah! But you see, since I said humility, honor, and serving, everybody's like, yeah, that's great. But I'm here to tell you that something is about to shift so greatly, and this is why the Lord was dealing with me about this, that did you know the things that are so exciting to some of you individually, the person to the left or the right of you may not give a flying rip about. Let me give you an example. You know what I love more than anything? And I might not show it as often as I should, but you know what I love more than anything? If I've worked all day, had a busy schedule, you know what I love? Coming home and talking to my wife. Literally talking to her, having a conversation with her and my little girl. The only reason she comes first is because she literally runs at me. So she literally comes first. Literally. But you see, what's so amazing is that my wife, the conversation I have with her is the joy of my life. But if I called, you know, say I call Will up. Right after I talked to my wife, I was like, bro, I had the greatest thing happen to me. I got home from work, and I talked to my wife. He would be like, that's awesome, Pastor Dom. Like, that's great. But you see, what means something to me, what moves my heart, does not move everyone else around me. But we live in a society, in a world that if you don't have exciting blow-up news that it seems like it's not relevant, but it's actually so important. And humility is not something we all shout about. It's not something we all talk about. But what you do alone with God, how you position yourself before him, before others, is so important. It's not something that you can go around bragging about. It's not something you can go and post on social media and get a whole bunch. It's not about that. But the things that are the most important and significant between you and who you're most intimate with, 
who should be the Lord, your family, that it might not mean anything to somebody else. But we create a culture where we have to have spectacular, but we don't honor and we don't truly value what's the essential and what's a necessity. And I'm here to tell you, humility is where we're starting tonight. So hear me that you actually are not going to like some things I say tonight, but it's all going to be Bible. And, and humility is not a popular topic. And we, we, Michael Dow hit on a lot of that last week, and it was so beautiful. But if you could, we're going to camp in a few places tonight. Are you excited, though? Are you, I just want to make sure you're with me. That, that if you could go to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'll catch up with you there in a moment. 1 Peter chapter 5. One of the things, when we launched Gold Street Garden, the scripture that was on my heart more than anything was this, and it was not 1 Peter, but Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus gives his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, you know what? He talks about humility and meekness, but one of my favorite Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see their God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see their God. You know what's so beautiful about that phrase is you could break it down as simply as this. The pure your heart is, the more you see him. The pure your heart is, the clearer you see him. And what does the enemy work over time on to compromise the condition of your heart? He works over time to make your heart impure, to make your heart wrestle with the things of this world because you are only, what you see is completely dependent upon the condition of your heart. Did you know that? That you see everything in life based off where your heart is at. Did you know that? That if your heart is, is grieving, if your heart is in depression, you will see every situation as an attack because of the condition of your heart. This is why God works overtime that when the Messiah came, what everybody was hoping is that the Messiah would take care of everything external. Change the government, change the ruling, change the world. But Jesus came as a humble servant to say, I'm changing your heart. He didn't come to save Rome. He came to save hearts. He didn't come to save America. He came to save the hearts of his people. Do you see? It's, it's, it, that it's, the nations are special only because people you know, sometimes people even get caught up in just locations, a map, where things are at. But God is, it doesn't say he looks to and fro for which land. He looks to and fro upon which heart is pliable to him. And it's this heart that is pure. And humility is the greatest purifier of the heart. In fact, every day you should look for opportunities to be humble. Even when it comes to testimonies, did you ever notice that sometimes when people testify that so quickly the testimony can become about them instead of glorifying him? Because the enemy is doing everything in his power to defile your heart and to defile 
what's most important. Humility brings you to a place where you see God. Because the, just think about this. When, if God is all-encompassing, the lower you get, I can see more of the room the lower I get. But when I'm at a certain persona, things are actually limited in the what I see. But when I get low, I can see everything. You know what I'm saying? That all of a sudden you can see the whole grand scheme of everything. And Matthew 5, 8 declares that. And how did we receive Jesus? You know, Colossians 2, verse 6, if you are taking notes, you can just reference it. But Colossians 2, 6 says this. Just as you receive the Lord Jesus, so walk in him. I'm going to say it again. Just as you received him, walk in him. How did you receive Jesus? By realizing you couldn't do it on your own. Am I right? The reason you got saved is because you came to terms that you're a failure. I know that's harsh, but that's the gospel. Is that the, and that's where the gospel kind of gets a little sugar-coated is that it's this message that come to Jesus and he'll make everything all right, but you have to repent and turn away from the wickedness. It's not just, we talked, Michael Dow brought up, it's not just adding Jesus to your life, it's replacing your life with him. The gospel didn't come to make bad people good, it, made, it came to make dead people alive. Okay? Leonard Ravenhill. So we have to understand humility as the key, that if we received him through humility, how do we walk in him in humility? And I'm going to go somewhere with this. I told you to turn to 1 Peter. So 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 5, I only want to highlight one verse here, but I do want to read. It says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. Everyone say, God resists the proud. Now, I don't know if that freaks you out, but I don't ever want to be resisted by the almighty God. And if it's saying right here that God resists the proud, I would want every ounce of pride out of my life. Like, soon as it would even just, just bring its ugly face into my life, I would deal with it immediately. My wife can testify how quickly I am to try to resolve a mistake on my end or an over, like, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm overhaul. I'm actually probably too much. Like, I, I, I like, we have to resolve it now. Like, I can't have a pride stamina hanging over my head. I know that I, I yielded to the enemy. You know what I'm saying? You know, sometimes you got to make sure you understand that the enemy is waiting for you to yield to your emotions so he can take over. You have to yield to the Spirit. Because when you yield to the Spirit of God, he will lead you into victory. He will lead you right where you need to be. But when the, the enemy is just waiting for you to get upset about something, to get annoyed by something, and you know the best way you can tell where pride is? You know, here's a great test. You don't realize how prideful you are until you don't get what you want. <laughs> you don't realize how much pride you had in your heart until you don't get what you want. Until the situation doesn't work out the way you want it. And you hear me bring it up all the time. You could be at a restaurant. Your food doesn't come out the way you want. 
my waiter out here. You know, like some people, you've probably seen them in restaurants where you just were, you almost felt like you had to apologize for a stranger. Have you ever been there before? You just see somebody lose it. I've been in banks before, and people treated the bank teller like they were, they, they just killed their brother or something. Like it's like, it's a, it, people don't realize how, pri- you don't realize how prideful somebody is until they don't get what they want. Why? Because pride is attached to personal selfish desires. Humility is the emptying of self. I, I, I've shared this so much. There's a minister I really respect, and he said this, that he says the key to life is to wake up every day and decide that you owe no man nothing. Or, and that nobody owes you anything is what I meant to say. He, just wake up every day and nobody owes you anything. Because that would change your life because the reason we get upset or get prideful is because they should have knew better. I deserve that. you got to be watchful with that. Do you think Jesus deserved to go to a cross? <laughs> Do you see how quickly we lose perspective? He volunteered. Did you know Jesus is the greatest volunteer of all time and people have a hard time volunteering just to do simple things? I'm, I'm telling you, I know this. People have a hard time volunteering when Jesus had no problem volunteering for the most heinous thing ever. The disciples are the greatest volunteers of all time. Think about it. But we live in an American society where I deserve, I'm entitled. I need this. I need this. Actually, you deserved hell. I know this is harsh, but this is the gospel. This helps keep us humble so that way we're able to love our brothers and sisters with such a heart. So everybody say it again. God, resist the proud. But, everybody say but. Are you ready? Because that's the, that's the thing about good news is that there's always a but. And it's always beautiful. It's a beautiful butt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You, you got it. So it's a beautiful butt. But he gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you, but grace is pretty awesome. You know why I know grace is awesome? Because we're saved by it. <laughs> it says it in Ephesians 2 8, we're saved by grace. Not only are we saved by grace, Jesus, in John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld Him, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace. And this scripture is telling us that if we humble ourselves, we get more of what was in Jesus. I don't know about you, but that should just, good night, go home. Like that, that's, like, He gives more grace to the humble. When we position ourselves humbly and we allow him to do. But here's the verse right here, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves. So he's saying he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves. Isn't it amazing how God can be so black and white? People are like, you know what? The Bible's got a lot of gray area. No, actually, it's very direct. It gives you very specific instructions. It says, this will happen if you do this. This will happen if you do this. So do this. That doesn't seem great to me. That seems very clear because you know what? Love is very clear. And 
Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Everyone say due time. You have to catch this, all right? Everyone in this room has a due time. You know what I mean by that? Due time means your massive, your, your purpose in its entirety when it's revealed it's all tied to a due moment that Jesus is, what was his due moment when he rose from the grave? But guess what? In order for him to rise from the grave, he had to humble himself pretty considerably. There's so many people that they want their due time without humility, but I'm here to tell you that your due time is completely tied to the humility of your heart. That, that it says that Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. You know what that tells me? That God knows exactly when to show you off to everybody. You know what I'm saying? He knows exactly when. David's the greatest example of that because David's in the shepherd field. He's not even there when they're choosing who's going to be the next king. But guess what? He was humbled under the mighty hand of God. So even when they lined up the best contestants, God said, I'm going to exalt my boy in due time right now. I'm going to lift him up. Because the reason you need God to lift you up, because you don't know your due time. You think you do, and that's why you keep running around the mountain. You think you know your due time, but that's why you're still stuck. That's why you're still frustrated. That's why you're still in the position that you are in. Because you need to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Because when God raises you up, nobody bringing you down. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You need him to exalt you. Because when you exalt you, it's going to fail. And it's going to be the most stressful thing you do. Because you are going to have to keep yourself exalted. That is really hard to do. You think we all know what it's like to ride on a high of emotions, feeling good, maybe more paychecks coming in, maybe things in life are going good, but it's hard to keep a nice face when things start going a little crazy. But guess what? If we, we talked about earlier, like Mary, if you learn to be at the feet of Jesus, whether you're in a crisis or whether everything's going good, you've learned, I'm going to humble myself at his feet and he will exalt me in due time. Amen. Is that helping anybody tonight? So everyone has a due time, but humility is completely tied to that. Amen. I can't emphasize that enough because the enemy loves pride. That is how he fell from heaven. It was all due to pride. That's how, that's how little God can stand pride. It said, did you, I don't know if you've read it before, but it said Lucifer fell like a lightning bolt from heaven. Does anybody know how fast lightning travels? Exactly. You see it after it happened. That's how fast it is. He had such zero tolerance for pride that soon as pride showed itself in heaven, it was just over. It said he flew out of heaven like a lightning bolt. This is how little God can stand pride and how prideful are people in America. How prideful the things people think they deserve, the things that, and I, I, I want you all to understand that this is not, humility is not the, deep, you know, deep, 
depreciating of yourself or demoralized. That's not what I'm talking. I'm just talking about having a state of heart that prefers others, that, that puts others above, that finds a way. Are, are you the type of person that when you walk into the room, you lift up everybody else around you? Or are you the type of person that walk into the room that demand everybody to look at you and hear how everything's going for you? You know how you can tell if that's you? Everybody's usually trying to walk away from you pretty fast. I'm just giving you some help. Oh, here, here it comes again. We're going to hear everything today. Let's hear, every, let's hear every story. Let's hear everything that happened to you this week. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, how does God feel when everybody comes? You know, it's like, but, but what we have to do is what if we chose that when we walked into a room that we're going to find something amazing in everybody around us and we are going to pull out the best and that we are going to follow in the steps of Christ, that I don't need people to lift me up all the time, but if they do, praise the Lord. And I'm thankful for compliments, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. But you know what? The thing is, is that I get everything I need in the secret place so that way I can lift up everyone else around me and show them the love of Christ. You know what I'm saying? It's just helping people tonight. So, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then in verse 7, it says, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So what does this say? The main, the main source of pride is when you care too much about things you shouldn't care about. Because right after it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, it was all you do season, it says, casting your cares. So how do we... How do we humble ourselves? By giving God all the, our concerns and all the things that are bothering us. The reason you're so frustrated and so bothered is because you're trying to be the Lord of your problems. If you're the Lord of your problems, you are going, you're not going to make it long. In fact, you, I want you to know, let it go tonight. Let it go. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. Let him exalt you in due time. Amen? Is this helping anybody tonight? All right. I feel good. God, you're right. I'm preaching to myself tonight. I'm like, like I, I'm getting this tonight. This is good. So um, Psalm 25, 9, you don't have to turn there. It says this, the humble he guides in justice. The humble he teaches his way. Who does God teach his way? The humble. You know why? Because if you think you figured it out, how can God help you? This is why the Pharisees missed Jesus. The Pharisees studied the word of God and they knew all the scriptures. And when the scripture himself was standing before them, they were so convinced they knew everything they needed to know that they couldn't tell when it was staring them right in the face, breathing on them. Do you think the Pharisees knew the word of God more than some of you in here? You better believe it. So don't just think you go, because you go to a church that's expressive in worship that you're mightier than others. You need to know him personally. I cannot emphasize that enough. Your relationship with him needs to be that when somebody says, what does Jesus mean to you? You should fall on the floor. It shouldn't just be, oh, well, he's the Messiah. He's the Alpha and the Omega. You know, it's not a theological. Who is Jesus to you? It should rock you. It, he's, he's everything to me. Can I tell you about him? Like, it should be like, you're asking me about the one that changed my life, the reason that I'm not on cocaine anymore, the reason I'm not dead, the reason that I'm breathing. He is everything. 
I humble myself under the mighty hand of God. I don't have anything to prove other than letting him. You know why we're under his hand, too? Because what is he? He's the potter. Not dirty dancing. That's not what I'm talking You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the potter. The potter. And he does this work. And when you come out from under his hand, what do you do? You, you manufacture and you premature a beautiful work that he wants to do. He's doing a work in you under his hand, and you're like, it's, it's time to go. It's, 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 it's my time. I gotta, they got to hear this, God. They got to know me. He's like, let me do the work. Let me do the work. You see what I'm saying? That we don't realize that there's, a, here's what you need to know. Sometimes we're mo- more focused on where we want to be than the heart we need to get there. Sometimes we're more focused on where we want to be than the heart we need to get there. If you would focus on the heart. You see, the work he does in your heart is more important than the work you do for him. The work you allow him to do in your heart is more important than the work you accomplish for him. What you allow him to do is more important than what you accomplish. That'll change your life. It'll change priorities. You could say it like this. You need to be more focused on your heart than your goals. Every day you should wake up and say, God, I allow you into every area of my heart. Whatever is not of you that is in my heart, please Rip it out. Reveal it to me today. And you have to be ready because you know how he's going to reveal it to you? Through relations with other people. I know we hate that. (laughs) I'm just letting you know I do. I'm just being real. I'll pray a prayer like that. And then that day I'll get into an altercation with somebody and the Lord's like, I revealed it. Because we want everything to be done in private. And like God, but God's like, no, what is the most important commandment? Remember, what's the most important commandment? God said there's not a most important commandment. There's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because you don't know how much of God's love has impacted you until it's measured by how you love others. The way you interact with other people reveals the work he's, you've allowed him to do in your heart. Because anybody can just love God listening to an anointed worship song. You can get the, the butterflies. You can be like, oh, this is amazing. But what happens, when, what happens when a friend stabs you in the back? Do, we, do those scriptures go out the window about loving your enemy, praying for your enemy? No, they should have knew better. Okay. Does that change who you are as a follower of Christ? Do you get an exception? I hope this is helping. You see, we have to teach. We have to prepare for what is to come because Jesus, if, if Jesus didn't operate in this way, what about when he was going to the cross? What if he would have just all of a sudden said, you know what? I don't deserve this. What if he just told God, you know, th- th- I'm done with this. I came here. I was a fetus. I was born in a manger. I'm not even a nice hospital. 
some barn raised by these people that, you know, they're, they're, and they're always asking for me when I'm out preaching. My mom's coming and it's like, Jesus, I need you. Do this. Do that. I've done everything. I've healed towns. And now they're beating me. They actually picked a murderer over me. Barabbas. Jesus at any moment could have said, I'm done. But that leads us to one other passage. Philippians, which I highly encourage you to read every day for the next month. Philippians, specifically chapter 2. I want to read this to you. And then there's one last place I want to go. Therefore, starting at verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affecting in mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Okay, so what is the context here? Thinking the same way. Having the same love and being of one accord. Everyone say one accord. One mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Is this scripture? Don't let anything be done through selfish ambition. That'll keep you busy. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. And then this is what it goes on to give us the ultimate example. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So are we about to tap into the mind of Christ right here? Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. This is amazing. We're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords said, I'm going to come and dethrone myself, and I'm going to become a man, and I'm going to show them who I am by serving the most inferior. Did you realize if God wanted to, he could have just came down and said, you are all a bunch of morons. I make bread red, rain from the sky. You complain. I send you prophets that heal and raise the dead. I send you all these signs. You Dry bones live. I send you all these signs. And you still are a bunch of morons. To hell with y'all. You, you, you see, we, we don't realize that God came as a humble servant to show us what authority looks like, to show us what heaven looks like. That even when we all get to heaven, guess what? There's a feast ready. There's a supper ready because he's ready to serve us. But so quickly we're like, I need this. I want that. I, I. The reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because you, you tap into your purpose when you humble yourself. You tap into your purpose when you serve because you're made in his image and he's the servant of all. You keep reading. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Everyone say humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself 
And it goes on to say, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone say due time again. So there's a due time, Jesus' due time, the closer he got to his pinnacle moment, the more humbling the task got as he got closer to his destiny. Did you know that's polar opposite in the world? That people think that the higher they get in status, that I'm, I'm, that's beneath me. You know what I'm talking about? I don't do that. I don't, you know, that's not... G- in fact, Michael Dow brought it up last week, that as Jesus got closer to the resurrection, the Holy Spirit tells him, wash the disciples' feet. Then he says, the Holy Spirit says, you're going to have one of your closest friends betray you. Wash his feet too. Forgive him. You're going to go in a garden and pray, but guess what? We know that you love praying, Jesus, we, but this time you're going to sweat blood. Everything leading up, and you know what? And actually now um, they're going to beat you with a cat of nine tails. Does that sound like that's an upgrade? <laughs> it actually got more. He was asked to be more and more humble as he got closer to his pinnacle moment. But in the world we're taught the opposite. And we need, to, we need to rethink that because I'm here to tell you that some of you are, are missing out on everything God has for you because your mindset is wrong. And there's just one story I want to hit on. You got just one more moment? Can I share something with you? I'm not in a rush. I just want you to know. I just, I, I just that was my intro. No, I'm just <laughs> I, I, I pray I'm not joking, but just <laughs> Second Kings chapter five. Turn with me there, and let's camp here for a moment. As you're turning there, this is something the Lord spoke to me. I want to share it with you. A quote. You know how it says that God is the author and the finisher of our faith, and it also says that God is not the author of confusion. So it, multiple times in Scripture, He's referred to as the author, and we hear about how He has books. Uh, the book of life, that God is an author. You know why God is an author? It's because he loves making stories. He loves writing stories. And humility is what gives God the pen to your story. Humility hands the pen of your story to God, and faith gives him the ink to write it. Humility gives God the pen to your story, and faith gives God the ink to write it. And when you realize that the humility is handing him the ability to write your story instead of you forcing a narrative or forcing what you want. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we find a story of a man named Naaman. And Naaman is a very respected general. He's a commander of an army, and not only is he a commander of an army, he's notorious for his victories. So he is a, a, an accomplished soldier of war. 
that is revered in all of his land, which is Syria. And Syria was an enemy of Israel. But in this story, weren't we all enemies of God before sin? That Naaman is a very accomplished man. And did you know that there's so many people in the world that think that they are very accomplished, that think that they have done so much and that they deserve so much, and that even when we go out on the streets, one of the biggest things we hear when we go up to people and say, if you were to die today, do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt you go to heaven? You know what most people say? I think so because I'm a good person. That's like one of the main answers. If you, the, m- most people think that they are going to heaven based off how good they are by their own definition or what the world's definition is. That is, that is deception because there is not one good before God that all, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This man, Naaman, is accomplished. He has all this stuff, and I want to read this verse to you. In verse 1, it says, Now Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, And by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. Everybody say, but. So here's the catch again. Like, it just, we just heard all these amazing things, but here's the kicker. He's all this, but he's a leper. You can have so much going for you in this world. You can have, you can have money. You can have a job. You can have all these things, but If you have an inward issue, if you have an inward struggle, that that inward struggle will dictate and determine the course of your life no matter how many good things you've done or how many good things you have your resume. Did you know that? Did you know that if there's something going on in your heart that you can put on the face you want, you can let all these things, you can even prove to everybody you do good things and that you try, but if you don't, Deal with the inward thing that only God can change. All of it is negated by the but. The but, he's a leper, just removes all that because it doesn't mean anything. And you know what happens? We don't realize this. This is why I'm telling you, you should humble yourselves now because there's so many people, and even myself, uh, if you don't learn if you don't learn the right way, you know, you'll learn the hard way. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd rather learn the hard way than go the wrong way my whole life. But did you know that we can learn how to submit to his way so we don't always have to learn the hard way? Does, you, does anybody know people, maybe don't look at your neighbor, do you know anybody that just seems to always have to learn the hard way? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you try to, you try to help people, you try to, you look and they, they just, it just seems like they always learn the hard way. And it's because they won't submit to his way. And what we see in verse 2, it says, Then the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back a captive, a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. So guess what? This, they go to Israel and they take captive a girl that's now a servant of Naaman's wife. And then in verse 3, it says, Then she said to her mistress, If only... My master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Isn't it awesome when you get around somebody that knows God, that you may have a struggle that you don't know what to do, but as soon as you get around somebody that believes in healing power, all of a sudden you're, you're, 
you thought that there was a cap to your situation, but then God opened your eyes and said, no, you don't have to live that way anymore? Are you thankful that somebody came in your life and said, no, you don't have to struggle anymore? You don't have to keep that. You don't have to stay there. He's, he's better than that. You don't have to throw Hail Marys up to God and hope. No, he's better than that. I've seen it. I've been to the land that flows with milk and honey. I know that he's the healer. I know that he's the provider. I know that he comes through at 1159 sometimes, but he comes through. You see what I'm saying? That you want to be around that this was a blessing. He thought that he was in control of a situation. You see, he thought that he was bringing in a servant girl to just help him with tasks around the house. This is why you got to be humble because there might be employees that you have. There may be people in your family. There may be people you walk through throughout the day, and God wants to speak to you through someone, but you disqualify them because they don't look a certain way or they don't have a certain amount of money or they're, they're younger or they're this, but God wants to see if you will hear his word over what you see. That's a big thing because so many times people disqualify what God is saying to them because they judge the way it's packaged. This is why they didn't know it was Jesus because Jesus came speaking truth, but they didn't like the way the messenger was packaged. They wanted Jesus to come as a king that would take the throne over, but he came as a humble servant and they hated him because they knew this can't be it. This can't be it. This bum. You got to watch. So you keep reading verse 3. Then, and then verse 4. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed. And, well, hold on. Let's just pause right there. One moment. That... It says here that, isn't it amazing that when you're in a crisis, that all of a sudden you will listen? I wish it wasn't that. This is why, saints, can you say, I'll listen? <laughs> you just listen so you don't have to get into a situation like this, that, that this man, even though he had so much going for him, he was at a place that he's listening to a little servant girl in the house talk about some magical God in his mind. But since he's at a place where he could die, he's like, you know what? We're going to Israel. Because what happens is he's starting to take the steps of what? Humility. And when you start taking the steps of humility, guess what's on the horizon? Your due time. But what did we talk about with Jesus? As you get closer to your due time, you're going to get asked to do more and more humiliating things. Just to see if you're ready to receive all of him. Because that's what you're receiving. And then in verse 5, it says, And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Check this out. <laughs> so he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousands of shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. This is over a million dollars worth of content. And he even got a referral letter from the most powerful person from his land. Check this out in the, in the world's eyes. If somebody showed up to a job interview 
with over a million dollars and a reference from the president or from somebody like, this, is, this guy deserves this. Wouldn't you be like, you're hired, right? Because what is Naaman doing? He is actually setting himself up for, for he wants God to answer him on his terms. Even though he's starting humble, this is what people do even about it. They can start out humble, but then all of a sudden they're expecting God to answer them on the terms that they think they're humble. But God, I did humble myself. I, I, I gave this, or I served this time, or I, I went out to the outreach. Like, God, why? why? Is that what God is asking you to do right now? Is that, what, what is it? So he's got a definition here of what he's doing, and it's a lot. And it seems like in man's eyes it would be appraised. But then in verse 6, he brought the letter of the king of he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. They're pretty much saying, all right, we brought all this, now heal him. Right? Because this is what we do sometimes with God. People do with God. is It's like, all right, I did this, I came, I did it, now do it, God. Abracadabra. Did you notice in Jesus' ministry how you'll read stories about how he would wipe dirt in people's eyes and then tell them to go wash or he would tell them to do something? Why? Because he wanted to see if they would humble themselves to the word. Healing comes through humility. It doesn't come through this vigorous now, I'm not saying you, you have zero tolerance for the enemy, but I want you to know that Jesus gave the enemy the greatest right hook by humbling himself to the cross. I like to think of humility as a blind spot of the enemy. He never sees it coming. Humility is the reason God's undefeated. Because every time the enemy thinks God's going to come in all-powerful, he decides to come as a lamb. He's like the Trojan horse. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He comes in and the enemy's like, oh, I'm not worried about that. That's no big deal. Look, he looks weak. He looks, but then it's too late because the, en because the king of kings has set up camp and now he reigns supreme. So in verse 7, it says, it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, am I a god to kill and make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So the king of the land is like, do you think I can heal you? And if, you're, if you weren't caught up in scripture, Elisha is the prophet of, at this time. And Elisha and the king of Israel are at odds. Because the king of Israel at the time is not listening to Elisha, who's the prophet. So the king is thinking, oh my gosh. You want me to heal somebody? And this goes to show that in the next verse, what happens, it says that Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king, saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. <laughs> so what is Elisha saying? He's saying that the word of the Lord is more supreme than the position of the land. Because what he's saying is that 
The king can't fix your problems. The king of the land. But guess what can? The word of the Lord. And that's what the prophet carried was the word of the Lord. So the prophet said, don't worry about it, king. Send them to me. So doesn't that seem like it's going to be a breakthrough, right? But guess what? It's gonna, it, it heats up here. Because in verse 9, Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door. <laughs> I love this story. Uh, if you've read this before, you know why I'm laughing. Because it says, then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. So he is at his what? His due time. He's there. He's, at, he's standing outside the door to his breakthrough. Now, check this out. He's brought over a million dollars. He has a reference from the most powerful man in the land. He's traveled over 300 miles to stand before this door. And did I mention he's a very accomplished individual? That he's already humbled himself greatly. He's caravaned with a million's with a million dollars, he's got a reference letter, he's there, and this is what Elisha does. Elisha, in verse 10, sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. This ticked Naaman off. Spoiler alert. Why? Because he has just gone through so much to be here. And Elisha doesn't even have the decency to come out of the house and just say, oh, I'm so sorry you have leprosy. Let me heal you or something. You know what? Elisha sends a messenger. He's right in the house. It's not a long trip. Open the door, bro. He sends a messenger because this is a foreshadow that so many people want to meet God, but God sent his humble servant. He sent a humble messenger, and the people didn't receive him because they didn't like the way it was packaged. Some of you are waiting for your due time, and you're standing in front of the door, and God's already sent you a message, and he's telling you, but you won't humble yourself to do it because you're too prideful. I'm preaching. I want you to know. This is, this is helping people tonight. That was prideful. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> See? See? So, 354 miles he traveled, and then this is what it says. Name it. And I want you to know the Jordan River at this time. Exactly. Very muddy, very mucky, very not desirable. So when you read this next verse, Naaman became furious. You don't say. And he went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, if he will surely come out to me. You see, he already had in his mind how he wanted God to do it. This is where frustration comes from, is it comes from wrong expectation. Let God dictate your desires, not you. So what happens? 
he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord and wave his hand all over the place and heal the leprosy. So Naaman had it in his mind that Elisha is going to walk out here and go, healed, healed, man of God. And you know, it's so amazing. You brought a million dollars. And this is a reference letter from the king of Syria? You are amazing. Elisha just said, hey, can you go out there and tell him to take a bath in the Jordan, that dirty river out there seven times. Make sure he does it seven times and, you know, just let him know. That's how Elisha dealt with it. And Naaman didn't like it. But guess what? The closer you get to your due time, the more humbling the task and the assignments become just because God wants to see that when he shows up, will you let him stay? Or will you take the throne again? Because if you're going to take the throne again, why don't you just keep it? So then, verse 12, it says, Are not the Abana and the Farfpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of it? So now he's saying, you could have you sent me to the, the clean rivers. You didn't even have decency. Better than all the waters of Israel, could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. <laughs> then, <laughs> now this is the key. Verse 13, it says, and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? Now think about this. This is just food for thought. Isn't it amazing that his servants are talking sense into him? Check this out. Why would his servants be able to talk sense in him? Because servants are used to taking orders. And servants take orders without anything even being promised to them. So his servants are bystanders hearing that if he just listens to what this man says, he'll get healed. And he's fighting over just what the task is. He's fighting over what it is that he's being asked to do. And the servants are trying to say, if all you have to do is do what he says and you'll be healed, why are you bucking that? Because it takes a servant to reveal humility. It takes a servant's heart to know what humility is. This is why the church gets so far away from the unity in the body of Christ because everybody is looking to be served, but very few know that it's all about serving, no matter what it takes. Do you know, like even on a Tuesday night here, you know, I tell people when we all the different leaders and different people that, that sow into what goes on, that it doesn't matter. All the, whatever got to get cleaned up, whatever has to get done, whatever has to be taken flat, whatever has to get done, everything, if I see people at the altar getting changed by the power of God, everything was worth it. Do you understand that? That the disciples, they saw that, that when, when the bread was passed out and multiplied, when, when the wine, when the water was turned into wine, all those supernatural miracles took place because people decided to humble themselves and what? And serve. So finally, it says in verse 14, so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean.
Isn't that so beautiful? That this is what God is desiring for us all, that we would realize that if we would humble ourselves, that we would begin to receive God's greatest. And this is the final thing I want to read to you in closing. In fact, if you close your eyes as I read this, it's a very popular passage of Scripture. In Matthew 11, it says this. In verse 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. As your eyes are closed, just hear when he says, learn of me, for I am gentle and meek you will find rest of your souls. You see, Jesus, Jesus is the teacher of humility. That when you get alone with God, when you walk away from the reading the word or whatever, you actually should become more humble by result of an encounter with him. And sometimes in culture and things, Things get thrown out of proportion where people, people get more caught up in the fireworks and they forget how the fire works. The fire works, the fire of God is all hosted by humility. If you're in this place tonight, I want that to be the invitation that Jesus is saying to everyone here and anybody watching online, Stop trying to be in charge of every little thing. Stop trying to work everything out and come to him and let him teach you how to rest. Let him teach you how to stay under his hand so that he can exalt you in due time.